0: That, uh, that hymn was actually an old Puritan prayer, if you're familiar with the Valley of Vision. It's actually one of the prayers in there. I love that song that was made to that prayer. Uh, I was blinded by my sin, had, had no cha- taste for heaven's joys, but your Spirit gave me life, opened up your word to me. Amen. I pray that the Lord has opened up your eyes to his word and the truth of the gospel. Amen. We'll open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. Uh, We continue our study on the Sermon on the Mount. Today, we're going to dive into one of the most misunderstood topics of our day, and that is the topic of judging, better known in our culture as the 11th commandment, Thou shalt not judge. The topic of judgment is a major theme in the rest of our Lord's sermon. All of chapter 7, the dominant theme is around judgment. Judgment is a very important issue to God and it ought to be a very important issue with us. The world seeks to avoid the topic completely uh, as many churches seek to avoid the topic as well. Even believers want to avoid the idea of judgment, but the truth is if you are a believer in Christ, you are actually you and I are under a constant judgment by our Father. Now, let me qualify that uh, not in a sense of a condemning judgment, but in a sanctifying and a lovingly fatherly judgment. God judges believers for our actions and disciplines us for our own good and for his glory. And we must ever be mindful of this, that our walk, we are constantly being evaluated and judged by God for our good and for his glory. So the whole theme of chapter 7, as Jesus wraps up his sermon, is addressing uh, judgment. Chapter 7, as we see here in our text today, begins with addressing judging others. And then later he addresses the narrow way and the small gate, and this is looking towards a future judgment of those who are on the broad way, which he says leads to destruction, which is another term for judgment. Then he addresses false teachers and how we are to judge them by their fruit and how God will judge them by cutting them down and throwing them into the fire, verse 19, which is a picture of future judgment. Then Jesus addresses the final eternal judgment, where he will cast all false converts into hell. Again, a picture of judgment. And then he ends the sermon with a picture of two responses to his words. One does not act upon them and is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And when the rain and the floods came, which is a picture of God's judgment coming, the winds blew the house down and he says, great was its fall. So here's another picture of judgment. So it's undeniable all of chapter seven and the rest of his judge, the rest of his sermon, the latter half is all about judgment. <clears throat> We're going to look at the first six verses today. So if you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter seven, starting at verse one, hear the words of God. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way you judged You will be judged, and by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pearls before swine, or they will trample them under their feet, and turn and tear you to pieces. Pray with me, please. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity now, God, to look at your holy word. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would illuminate our minds, hearts, soul, and spirit to know and understand you more through your word here. God, I pray that the words that I speak are that which you have spoken, that you would use your word, Father, to lead sinners to repentance, to sanctify your people and make us more like Christ. Above all else, Lord, we pray that our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, you would be glorified today. In Jesus' name, amen. Stop judging me. You ever heard that one? Only God can judge me. How about that one? You're being so judgmental. Who are you to judge? Have heard any of those common sayings? If you've been around in our culture long enough and you've attempted to speak any type of truth of God's word, you have probably heard one of these sayings. I can't tell you how many times uh, we heard this. These sayings, when we attempted to take the gospel of Jesus Christ two blocks from here during the Rock Hill Pride Festival, uh, we heard these and much more. Uh, but anytime you seek to take truth into a culture that hates God, non believers seek to squelch the gospel by saying something like that You are not the judge, only God can judge me. Stop being judgmental especially outside of the abortion mills where many of our guys have and do minister, constantly when, when Christians are trying to stand in the gap and obey Proverbs 24 to save babies who are on their way to be ripped limb for limb, be starved to death, and inevitably, constantly, you hear shouts back, stop judging, stop judging me, only God can judge me. You see our culture hates standards. Our culture hates objective and absolute truth. Our culture hates certainty. You see friends, our culture will tolerate just about any belief. They will actually tolerate your belief in Jesus Christ. They will tolerate these things, but what they will not tolerate is when there's certainty. An absolute truth behind it. So long as there is an absolute standard and authority behind your belief, then you will be hated. Sure, you can believe for yourself. It could be truth to you, but not truth, period. Those who outcry for tolerance are not tolerant at all when it comes to certainty. Therefore, you have a culture that cries, you're judging to anyone who desires to proclaim certainty or absolute moral truths applicable to all people indiscriminately of all backgrounds and beliefs. That's where they show their intolerance and hatred towards God and his word. Because you can all day say, I believe these things to be true. Yeah, I believe it's wrong to do this. I believe it's wrong to do that. But as soon as you say with certainty that these are objective standards of truth, universal to all of mankind, and you must obey and submit to them, that's where the intolerance and the hatred towards the true God shows its face. So is this the type of judging that Jesus Condemns here in our text because I've been quoted Matthew 7, verse 1, dozens, if not hundreds of times, when sharing the gospel to the culture, whether it's in a hostile setting like a pride festival, whether it's in a hostile setting like outside an abortion mill, or whether it's just witnessing to anybody who's coming by the streets. You start speaking in absolutes and you start getting quoted from unbelievers nonetheless. Hey, Jesus said not to judge. You're judging. Stop judging me. So is this what Jesus condemns? Maybe it is. Perhaps we are to never say objectively that anything or anybody is wrong in their beliefs or practices. If that's the belief, to adopt that, you would not make it too far into Scripture to come into direct conflict with that idea. First, we see that judgment is absolutely necessary for the civil magistrate. They must judge what's right and what's wrong. The civil government is to judge righteously, as it says in Proverbs 31.9. But that's the government, Mark, right? That's, That's the government. That's something different. What about other realms of life, everyday realms? Well, what about the church? Over in Matthew 18, we have procedures for church discipline. And it says, if your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. And then if he does not listen, you take two or three more. If he still refuses to listen, you tell it to the church. If he still refuses to even listen to the church, it says, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. It means you put them out of the church and you declare them to be an unbeliever. Now, how do you deal with that? How can you rebuke someone for their sins if there's not a judgment made on what's right and what's wrong? And how can there be excommunication from a church where the unrepented sinner is marked as an unbeliever if judgments are not made? If objective Truths are not proclaimed if certainty is not part of the equation. Or what about texts like 1 Corinthians chapter 5, where Paul commands believers not to associate with any professing so-called believer. Look what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, starting in verse 11. He says, but actually I wrote to you not to associate With any so-called brother, notice he says so-called brother, if he is an immoral person or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or a swindler, not to even eat with such a one. That's strong language. A so-called brother who lives in an unrepented sexually immoral lifestyle or an unrepented Uh, a drunkard who claims to be a believer. Paul is saying to not even have fellowship with such a one. This commands the church to actually make judgments. How can you do this if you don't make a judgment based upon what's right and what's wrong and what this so-called brother is doing in his life? Life. And then he makes the point in verses 12 and 13 to not worry about the people outside the church in this sense, but to judge the people inside the church. So he's actually giving you a command that we are to judge those inside the church. So how can you do that if Jesus' command is to prohibit all types of judging? And what about Jesus himself in John chapter 7? In verse 24, he tells the Pharisees to stop judging based upon appearance, and he says, judge with righteous judgment. See, that fits with these texts like Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, where we are to make righteous judgments and not just judge based upon a flippant view of somebody's outside behavior. What about those who would spread false teaching? Those who teach things that are contrary to Scripture, are we to just not judge them and say, well, you know, they're on a journey. You know, just love them. Uh, just, just pray for them. You know, uh, become their friend, right? Uh, well, the Apostle John has stronger words to say to that in his second epistle, in the first chapter, verse 10. The Apostle John says, do not even bring them into your house. In other words, don't even have fellowship with somebody who is teaching things that are false doctrine that's how important accurate teaching is is you're perpetuating their false teaching by being in fellowship with them and paul does the same thing if you flip over to titus chapter 3 paul's warning to timothy about heresy titus chapter 3 beginning at verse 10 He says, reject a factious man. Now, factious in the original Greek is where we get the word heresy or heretic, okay? Your version might even say that. He says, reject a factious man after first and second warning, knowing that such a man is perverted and is sinning, being self-condemned. Well, again, how can we reject heretics if we do not have an objective standard of truth and and morality how can we uh, reject factious men heretics that teach false doctrine if we're not making judgments based upon what they say and do and based upon the word of god and then declaring that what they're doing is wrong even later back in our sermon on the mount jesus if you hold to Jesus prohibiting all types of judging, well, you come in conflict with some of his own words in the Sermon on the Mount because in verse 6, he says, do not, do not give what is holy to dogs and do not throw your pearls before swine. How can you do that without making moral judgments? How can you know who is a dog, who are, who are swine, and not to throw what's holy to them if we're not Making objective standard truth claims and judging. And then later on in the sermon, he does it again in verse 15 with a warning on being aware of false prophets. You will know them by their fruits. Again, how can we obey this command without having certainty, without having moral clarity, and universal and absolute truths to make judgments upon who is a false prophet? I could go on, but I think you get the point here. The idea of never saying anyone or anything is objectively wrong or immoral or even an abomination to God does not fit with the whole of Scripture, and it's not what Jesus is condemning here in this passage. And the church wholesale has acquiesced to the culture in this area and has zipped its mouth on the things that God calls an abomination And many are too scared to be labeled as a bigot, narrow-minded, or out of touch, or not progressive, even not loving because they've redefined what love is. They render themselves, or they don't want to be called not tolerant. Uh, And because churches have done this, and Christians have done this, they render themselves useless And for the sake of these traditions that they've built, that's what they've built. They've built these things as traditions and as doctrines. And for the sake of these traditions, they nullify the word of God and they nullify the power of God. We have to always be renewing our minds to the word of God. And being aware of cultural influences in our life love is not love how the culture defines it because the culture defines love as never saying anybody's wrong about anything they say or do that's what love is right but that's not how scripture defines love we have to be renewing our mind so what is jesus condemning here because he does give a prohibition against judging what is he prohibiting well the word itself if we look at the text it gives us a starting point, but it doesn't give us a whole lot. The word here where he says, do not judge, the word judge in the original language means to separate, it means to approve, to determine, that's one of the definitions, to make a determination, uh, to announce an opinion to what's white or what's wrong. It would help us to understand the historical context and the type of hypocritical judging That was prevalent in Jesus' day. You see, they didn't have the same cultural background as we do today. You didn't have people in Jesus' day going around saying, Don't judge me. You can't judge me. It was quite the opposite. The Pharisees judged others with a self righteous, hypocritical, legalistic, and contemptuous type of partial judgment on others who were not part of their special class. This is best illustrated in a parable Jesus gives in Luke chapter 18. Turn there with me. Luke chapter 18, beginning at verse 9. And he also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Stop right there. This was prevalent in Jesus' day. You had Pharisees who not only sought to obey the law, but made extra-biblical rules outside of the law, held to those rules. And then their standard was not based on God's word, but their standard was on these extra-biblical rules. And they would put those burdens on the common people. And here Jesus says that he told this parable. To some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Verse 10 Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself God, I thank you that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. And he goes on and lists all the good things. That He does. And then the other one, the tax collector comes and you know the story. He came and lift his head. He just cries out beating his chest. Lord, forgive me. I am a great sinner. And Jesus ends by saying that that tax collector, he went away justified. He went away saved because he came in repentance and faith. But I want you to notice the contempt for the tax collector. The looking down upon that this Pharisee had upon this tax collector. That is exactly the type of judging that Jesus is condemning here in our text. This comes from a self-righteous attitude. The thought that somehow you're more special or you're better or you are good and you have something special in you that made you choose God that made you not do all the sinful things that you see other people doing, or you have something special in you that helps you to be more holy than the other lower-class Christians that you meet at work or uh, maybe right here in church. This is the type of self-righteous attitudes that Jesus is condemning. This is exactly what Jesus condemns here. Uh, we must understand that anything and everything friends anything and everything within us from our salvation to our sanctification any good within you is not of your own special doing it's all of god's grace even your desire to pray to god your desires To read God's word, even all of that is a grace coming from God. Because all God has to do, friends, is lift back his Holy Spirit. And you won't desire to get up and read God's word. You'll sleep in. You won't desire to pray or to do the things that God commands you to do in his word. All God has to do is just lift it back and watch you walk away from the things that right now you desire to do. So hear me. Anything and everything within you that pleases God, that obeys his word, that seeks holiness is all alone by the grace of God. Once we understand that, there will be no need and no reason to look at others as in a self-righteous way with contempt that you are better. As a matter of fact, we might look at other Christians with this attitude. We will look at other Christians who maybe don't hold up to our standards uh, who maybe don't read and pray like us or, or do the things of the Lord like us, we'll look upon them and, and, and we will actually have pity on them. And we will pray for them and we'll realize, wow, God, I will actually be worse than that if not by your Holy Spirit, if not by your grace. So that cancels all of the self-righteousness in us when we grow in our understanding that all the things that we do, When we grow in our understanding, like the Apostle Paul said, I know that within me dwells nothing good. Is that your attitude today? Or do you look upon others with contempt? Do you look upon others and say, wow, I'm I'm, I'm so much better than them. They're, they're They're half Christians. That's the type of judging that Jesus is condemning here. Jesus in our text says that by the measure of judgment you show others. The same will be measured to you. You will be judged by your own standards. That's what Jesus says here uh, back in our text where he says, by the standard of measure will be measured to you. This is why it's so important that our standards align with Scripture alone. And we don't create standards that are above and beyond Scripture that may be preferences for the Christian walk. And hold those standards upon other people, because Jesus says, by your standard, you will also, it will also be measured to you. And he says, judge not so that you will not be judged. Don't judge others in the way that's uh, hypercritical, in a way that's self-righteous, in a way that looks at others with contempt. Don't judge others because he says, so you won't be judged. Now, you might think, well, I'm I'm not going to be judged, Mark, because I am a, a Christian. And there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And now, while that is true, but you remember, he is talking to his disciples. And even Christians, you will be judged for your deeds, both in the future when we stand before the throne room of Christ and we stand in judgment on what we did as a Christian. Not in a condemning type of way. But friends, if you're in Christ, our whole life will be evaluated before Jesus Christ, our King of kings and Lord of lords. Every idle word that you spoke or or everything you did while you were in the body of Christ will be evaluated. Okay? And you'll also be judged on this earth. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul tells the people who were taken to the Lord's Supper unworthily that the believers were being judged. Some of them were sick and even some of them died, he said. So, as believers, we will be judged. And if we have a self righteous, contemptuous attitude upon unbelievers or upon other Christians, tell me let, me, let me tell you. God will judge you for your own good, for your sanctification. He will discipline you because He loves you, because you are His child. And that's the type of judgment uh, that, that I'm speaking about here that Jesus says, do not judge so you will not be judged. Now, if you're an unbeliever, like the Pharisees were, and they were judging with this self-righteous attitude, well, that's part of their eternal judgment. They will be judged for their deeds, for their self-righteous attitudes, and their self-righteous judgment, that's going to be part of their eternal judgment where they will suffer in eternity in hell uh, if they die unrepentant. So again, as believers, we are not judged in a condemning sense. <clears throat> if you want to look up in Romans 14, 1 Corinthians 3, and 2 Corinthians 5, this speaks to the future judgment that believers have uh, that we will be evaluated based upon what we did as believers uh, in uh, for eternity. So that's Romans 14, 1 Corinthians 3, and, and 2 Corinthians. Uh, five. So, this is the type of judgment that Jesus condemns. And next in the text, he gives an illustration to show how ridiculous it is to try to judge another with this type of self righteous spirit. Look at verse 3. He says, Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye? And behold, the log is in your own eye. You hypocrite, First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Jesus here, using this illustration, is saying that it's utter folly to think that you can help a brother with their sin when you have this huge log, the speck compared to the log Is like a piece of sand compared to a telephone pole coming out of your eye. Jesus is using this very uh, extravagant and silly illustration to say, how dare you to try to go fix your brother's little speck that they have in the eye when you have this gaping log sticking out of your own eye? There's no way. Now, people have tried to interpret this in different ways. Some interpret this as, you know what, you have sin in your own life, sin wholesale. So as long as you have sin, you're not to go to try to help your brother speck out of his eye. Until you can get all of your sin out of your life, you are not to go try to help your brother. Well, I reject that interpretation for a number of reasons. Uh, First, it's impossible to get all the sin out of your life. But second, Jesus says, first, take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly. To take the speck out of your brother's eye. So he's not negating trying to help your brother take the speck out of his eye. I believe the log that he's saying here that you need to get rid of is the log of self righteous, contemptuous judgment, which is what he is prohibiting. Jesus is saying it's utter silliness to think that you can actually help your brother with their sin. When you have this huge log of your own sin, but specifically this sin is self-righteous, contemptuous judgment towards them. That's what he's saying you need to get rid of before you go help your brother. So I don't believe that Jesus is saying get rid of your sin before you attempt to help your brother. That would be impossible. I also reject the idea that Jesus is prohibiting calling out other people's sins. Uh, this text has been used uh, to try to perpetuate that. Hey, you're not to call out anybody's sin. Worry about your own sin, right? Well, I think that doesn't fit the context of the passage, and it's in conflict with a ton of other scriptures. Here are a few. We are commanded to go to our brother and sister and to exhort them and even rebuke them for their sin. Luke seventeen three. It says, Be on guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. Matthew 18, I read it earlier. Verse 15, If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. Even in the Old Testament, Leviticus 19.17, You shall not hate your fellow countrymen in your heart. You may surely reprove your neighbor, it says. How about Proverbs 27, verse 5? Better is an open rebuke than love that is concealed. On the flip side, receiving the rebuke, Psalm 141, 5 says this, Let the righteous smite me in kindness and reprove me. It is oil upon the head. Do not let my head refuse it, for still my prayer is against their wicked Deeds. This is one thing that's just lost popularity in the church today: is the willingness to receive an exhortation or even a rebuke from another Christian. Whether you believe it or not, most of Christians today will not receive a brother or sister coming to them and saying, "Hey, I've noticed this in your life. I notice you're off in this direction, or I notice even I notice this seems sinful, right?" most christians will not accept that from another brother or sister in christ they will rather leave a church than receive a rebuke or exhortation from another brother and sister in christ but here in psalms we ought to have this attitude let the righteous smite me friends do you want to be more like christ do you want to grow in your holiness do you understand that other people close in your life can see things often that you refuse to address in your own mind because we're all sinful and sinners and we try to ignore the things that are displeasing to God in our lives? But we need to have this attitude that we would be open. Now, I'm not saying it's not going to sting. I've had people share things with me that it hurts. It stings and I want, I want to uh, throw it back at them and say, no, you're wrong. But humble yourself. Uh, Pass the, the stinging, right? To, to receive what another brother or sister in Christ is saying to you. Take it to the Lord. Take it to Scripture. Be open to what is being said to you so that you might be able to take a kernel of truth that they're saying and grow in our walk. <clears throat> Galatians 2 verse 11. Uh, this is where Paul He says, when Caiaphas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. So he went and addressed Paul in his, or Peter, uh, Paul addressed Peter in his sin of showing partiality uh, to the Gentiles. What about James chapter 5 verse 19 says, My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way, will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. So the text in the Sermon on the Mount does not say we should never address somebody with their sin. Because we see this. How about Galatians 6 verse 1? Great text. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass. Now, when he says caught, that doesn't mean like caught him red-handed. Okay, that word in the original language means to be caught up, right? To be taken away. If anyone, he says, is caught up or taken away in any trespass, just pray for him, ignore it, hope the Lord shows him. No, because if you see it, God might be using you to go to that brother and sister to obey the text which says, you who are spiritual, not you who are self-righteous, who show contempt towards others, but you who are spiritual, it says, restore such a one. In a spirit of gentleness. We don't go running around and poking at people and say, hey, you need to stop doing this, you need to stop doing that. That's that self righteous attitude, right? But you who are such in the spirit, do it in a spirit of gentleness, looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. You know, we've been so duped by cultural Christianity into thinking that we're not our brother's keeper, but friends, you are your brother's keeper. We are our brother and sister's keeper. We ought to have that mentality. We ought to address sin when we see it in our brothers and sisters. I mean, do you hate me that much to ignore a glaring sin that you see in my life? Do you fear man that much to ignore a friend's sin and not lovingly call them to account for it? Jesus is not saying, don't do that. He's saying, get rid of your self-righteous, contemptuous attitude before you do. This attitude is like a huge log sticking out of your eye compared to your brother's speck, which represents their sins. So how do you know if you have this self-righteous, contemptuous attitude? Here are a few observations where you can identify if you have this type of attitude first if you are hypercritical of others you might have this attitude that Jesus is condemning always finding faults in others and always airing those faults to other people because it makes you feel good about yourself if I can always criticize someone else usually people you don't even know just always criticizing these people now I'm not saying you can't critique somebody But being hypercritical, always putting other people down, always finding faults in others, you might have a self-righteous, contemptuous attitude that Jesus is condemning. Another sign of judging that Jesus condemns here is by measuring other Christians to your standard of Christianity and looking down upon those who don't measure up. I said that earlier by adding things that may be preferences that may not be black and white in Scripture, and that's your measure on, how, on who a Christian is, a real Christian, and then applying that standard and that measure to others. Another way is showing partiality to, towards uh, a certain personality, not a principle. Are you critiquing and criticizing others because of their personality, not because of their beliefs, behavior, so on and so, far, uh, so forth? Partiality is a sin. Another sign that you might have this attitude is by judging others for practicing the very same things you do. Paul condemns this in Romans chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore you have no excuse, every one of you who passes judgment. For in that which you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. So in other words, if you're, if you're rebuking or, or critiquing other people for sin that they're doing, but you're doing the same thing, you're going to be judged by God. God calls you a hypocrite for judging this way. And this word here in verse 5, he says, You hypocrites," he says. By having this self righteous and contemptuous attitude for others and looking down upon others and trying to judge them, he says, You hypocrite. Now, this word means to be an actor or a pretender or a character. You're just plain Christianity. And Jesus calls hypocrites, uh, others hypocrites, 14 times in the Gospels. You actor, you pretender, you character, he says. Deal with your own sin before dealing with others. And again, these aren't mutually exclusive. We're not trying to get all, rid of all of our sin uh, before we try to help a brother or sister uh, in their sin. But once you've dealt with this self-righteous spirit, once you've gone to the Lord and checked your heart, O oh Lord, search my heart and know me if there's any unclean way within me, Lord. When you've gotten rid of that self-righteous attitude, That's the log you're getting rid of. Then you can go help your brother or sister with the speck, the sin that's in uh, their life. And then once you do this, once you address this sin or this error or a direction that you might see a brother or sister in Christ going, once you get rid of that self-righteous attitude, then you can do it with all love. Uh, You can address them with patience, with sympathy, with humility, with compassion we ought to speak the truth it says speak the truth in love we ought to restore such a brother who's caught up in sin but with a a spirit of compassion and humility and a spirit that is seeking for their good because people know whether or not you're out for their good If you go to somebody and you're known as someone who's self-righteous, who looks down upon others, and you go try to help a brother or sister in their sin, you think they're going to have ears to hear? They're not going to have ears to hear what you have to say. You must go with a spirit that's seeking good for them. Finally, Jesus offers a word of caution in doing so. Verse 6 is one of these verses that some Bibles actually separate it from the little paragraph. Uh, Because they don't really know what to do with this verse, but it actually connects to the first five verses. Jesus is offering a caution when it comes to going to a brother or sister or anybody uh, to uh, rebuke them of their sin. He says, Do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pearls before swine, or they will trample them underfoot and turn and tear you to pieces. So what this is saying, it's not out of place. What Jesus is saying is we actually need to exercise discernment and caution when presenting truth to others. Out of love and reverence for the truth, we are to discern when we are casting these precious pearls before swine, for them just to trample on them underfoot and then turn and tear you to pieces. These would be people who are so obstinate to the truth With so much vitriol and utter contempt for the truth that we ought to discern whether or not we exert any efforts on them whatsoever. Proverbs 9 verse 7 puts it this way, He who corrects a scoffer gets dishonor for himself, and he who approves a wicked man gets insults for himself. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. This reminds me of uh, ministering out at the Pride Festival. Um, I went out there uh, two years ago in 2021, or maybe, I guess that's three, uh, about three now. Uh, I'm out there preaching the gospel, and it's a mixed bag. Some people are throwing stuff. Some people are, really like to share certain fingers on their hands. Um, some people are just sitting listening, right? And this man, I don't even know who he was or what he was doing. He's walking by, and he came as I'm, as I'm preaching the gospel, and he whispers in my ear, and he says, Pearls before swine. And he walks, and he walks away. And I got to thinking about that. And in a sense, I, I agree with what he's saying because many, many of the people that are, are there, I, it is casting the pearls before swine. But guess what? I'm not there for those. I'm not there for the ones who are throwing stuff at me, who are, get, are expanding my vocabulary. I'm not there for them. I'm there for the... The one girl who I still remember who spent the whole time at the Pride Festival right here listening to me. The whole time. Came and didn't participate in anything and then she went home and just listened. Those are the people that I'm there for because they will never hear the gospel in our culture because they're never going to walk into a church like this. And that's not casting pearls before swine. But nonetheless, we have to discern if there's somebody who's so obstinate to the truth, you may even try to share the truth with them, but all you get is vitriol. All you get is, is a total rejection. There comes a point where now you're casting pearls before swine and you need to just stop. Now, that's not, not loving your enemy because you've tried to do this, but he has given us caution on where we are to cast uh, the truth And when we are to discern, when we just need to stop casting our pearls before swine. So, in conclusion, in our endeavor to love others and to obey God's word in this area, we need a reminder that first and foremost, Jesus is the judge. Jesus said that the Father has given him all judgment. Uh, You can go through all of the texts in the New Testament. Jesus is the one Who has the final judgment. And therefore, as Christians, we need to be ever mindful that we are walking before a loving Father and one who is constantly judging not only our actions, but our motives. And we need to take it before the Lord. If there's any self righteousness in you, any looking down upon Christians who don't measure up, or any thinking I'm better than these non-believers because, you know, I chose Christ and something's just special, not special with them. We need to repent of all that and ask ourselves, do I have this spirit that Jesus is rebuking? Am I hypercritical of others to build myself up? Am I, am I always pointing out the flaws in others? Do I look at others with contempt or do I consider myself better in any other way? One of the resolutions by Jonathan Edwards, and I'm just going to paraphrase here. Um, he says, whenever I see sin in others, he says, I'm reminded. I, he says, I don't even judge them, right? He says, I, I just remind myself. I use it as an opportunity to remind myself of the great sin and even greater sin that I either have done or could do without the grace of God. So the next time you see a Christian who's not measuring up, remind yourself that, of the great sin that Jesus saved you from, the great sin that he's constrained you from. And instead of having a better-than-thou attitude, you ought to have a loving, pity type of attitude towards that brother, get rid of the log in your eye so that you can go help your brother or sister with the speck in their eye. And the last thing I'll say is that Jesus as the great judge, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you will be judged by him uh, for all of eternity. And unless you come to Christ and make, t- make peace with God, through faith in Jesus Christ, you will ultimately be judged for your sins. And I invite you to come to Christ in repentance and faith. And you pass out of that eternal judgment. And it says in Colossians that you, you are passed out of uh, the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved Son. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so very much, Lord those that you have called out of darkness into your marvelous light, that you have, you have caused us to pass the eternal judgment of condemnation. And God, you have given us your Holy Spirit to walk in obedience to, um, to have the understanding of your word. And Father, we pray now, Lord, if there are any of us that have any contemptuous or self-righteous or hypercritical spirit upon others in a, in a self-righteous spirit judging of others, Lord, that you would rebuke us, Father, that you would help us to repent of these things, help us to to grow in our understanding of your great grace and our great fallenness so that we would not have this attitude that you condemn. So, Lord, help us to lovingly exhort our brethren. Help us to lovingly approach a brother or a sister who has erred. And help us to do it being watchful that we would not be tempted as well. As iron sharpens iron, Lord, help us to sharpen one another. Father, help us to be truth in the culture that hates truth. Lord, help us to look past the insults and the misrepresentation of the text to stop judging. Help us to open our mouths To speak your truth, to speak your rule and reign and your glorious gospel, that you would use it to save many sons and daughters to salvation, Lord. We thank you. We give you honor. We give you all the praise in Jesus'